You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise in Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's start today with a murder out of Orlando, Florida, and it involves zombies, but not the kind you think. Shante Cooper was a 39-year-old mother who had finally got out of a difficult marriage. She was getting back on her feet, and she had started a technology company in the Orlando area, and her and Jackson, her young son, were finding their way again. Well, about this time, Shante decided to give love a go since her heart had healed a bit. She began talking with some men on the internet, but one captured her interest and eventually her heart. Dave Trones was 10 years older than Shante. He was also divorced, but his charm and maybe his financial stability was captivating to Shante. While they were pursuing each other long distance, a smitten Shante wrote this to Dave. I will have to say, this will be a delicious detour. Amazing, magnificent, life-changing detour. I've had a pep in my step since we started this email affair. Well, the whirlwind courtship had Dave leaving Minnesota and moving to Orlando. Shante believed he had inherited four to six million dollars from his father. And why wouldn't she believe that? When Dave came to Florida, he paid $6,000 in cash for a unique home in Delaney Park. That's just outside of Orlando. Well, in 2015, the two made plans to marry. They made plans to renovate the home. And the future for the couple seemed pretty bright. Shante would continue running her lucrative financial software business out of the second story of the home, and the renovation of the main floor of the home would commence. But some red flags started to emerge. Dave wouldn't put Shante on the deed to the house. Instead, the home was in a trust that included Dave's mother and Dave. He also didn't get a job. He decided that he would renovate the house and busy his days with developing their dream home. But all that went drastically wrong over the next two years. Demolition of the main floor meant most interior walls were removed from the 4,000-square-foot Victorian home. Dave claimed he was fulfilling Shante's dream of an open-concept living style, but he really didn't have the knowledge to pull off such a task. He also didn't have the money, it seemed, or at least he didn't share his money. Each time purchases for the renovation were made, Shante funded the endeavor. Dave wasn't bringing any of that inheritance to the project, or, quite frankly, any of their lifestyle. And the pictures from the renovation are pretty astonishing. Subfloors are missing. Studs are laid bare. Insulation has been removed. Windows are barely encased. All of this made it nearly impossible to keep living in the home. In fact, it had become so unsafe, Shante had begun living in a tiny apartment above the garage. Jackson, her son, was sleeping in a bunk bed adjacent to the couch, and Dave had been relegated to the actual garage. He is sleeping on a couch on the cement floor with the dogs in metal crates nearby and boxes and tools taking up all the remaining space. Well, after two years, Dave reached out to Keith Ory. 
So Keith's a house renovator in the Orlando area who makes regular appearances on an A&E TV show called Zombie House Flipping. Now, the concept of the show is that house flippers scoop up bottom dollar priced houses, you know, the ones that look like only zombies could live in them, and they perform extensive renovations and they sell the homes for massive profits. Keith told CBS News that he wasn't prepared for what he saw when he entered Shantae and Dave's home. He said it was astonishing that the phrase, taking it down to the studs, couldn't even apply here because they removed some of the actual studs. Keith's structural engineer examined the property, and he said that Dave had taken away all the interior dividing walls, and basically what was left was a two-story shell. It was so unsafe, the men really didn't even feel comfortable standing inside the home. So this sounds like a horror story for me and for you, but Keith accepted the challenge. I mean, it's going to make for great TV on zombie house flipping. Well, in April of 2018, Keith went to the home to meet with Shantae and Dave just one last time. He wanted to make sure he had everything set before filming would begin. He told CBS News that Shantae did show up for the meeting, but that she gave her consent to filming and then abruptly left. Keith said he felt like she was maybe angry about something. I mean, maybe it was the project or the price or the filming schedule, or maybe it was just the relationship or quite possibly all of the above. Well, a few days after meeting with Keith, Dave, at 3.50 in the afternoon, after walking the dogs and running errands during the day, makes a frantic phone call to 911. In the call, Dave's voice is erratic and high-pitched. He sounds as if he's crying, but first responders immediately speculate that the tears are possibly fake. One officer testified in court that Dave sounded as if he was hysterically crying one moment, and then he would completely stop and answer certain questions as if nothing was wrong in a very matter-of-fact way. In the call, he said he had pulled Shantae from the bathtub and laid her on her back. He told officers that her head was completely submerged in water, but officers noted that the tub did not have any water in it and it was dry. They also documented that the floor outside the tub was dry. They even said the bathroom rug that was right in front of the bathtub was dry. But they did note that the clothing Shantae was wearing seemed slightly damp, but not wet. Officers also noted that she had dried blood on her skin. And to understand this bathroom, it's small, you guys. When the door is open, it actually covers a portion of the tub. And it's not a big tub. If there had been enough water in the tub for Shantae's head to be completely submerged, the tub would be nearly half full. And the floor surrounding the tub is made of tile. So water would be standing on the surface and not soaking into the surface. And there's not much room. Water should have smashed up and around on things if he had just removed her from the tub frantically and then immediately called 911. Well, blood is found at the scene, including on the bed frame, the linens, and the bathroom area, and the blood is dry to the touch as well. Investigators immediately note that Shantae has injuries to her head and face that don't really match a fall in the bathtub, and she has rug burn on her knees, and that doesn't match Dave's account of pulling her from the tub and dragging her on her back towards the bedroom. Well, Dave willingly went with officers to the station, and he spent hours in an interrogation room being questioned by two female detectives. He even strips off his shirt for the detectives to examine potential wounds from a confrontation. 
And those two detectives, well, they play good cop, bad cop for nearly eight hours, accusing Dave of murdering Shantae. They push Dave about the failed renovation, the toll it must be taking on the marriage. And Dave tells the detectives that he is sick to death about what happened to his wife on that day, but he assures them that nothing happened because of the animosity between the two. Well, they also grill Dave about the blood found at the scene near the bed and on the linens. Well, he rationalized that it was menstrual blood that had not been cleaned up after a sexual encounter between the two. Well, Dave eventually agrees to take a polygraph, but after eight hours following the afternoon murder, we're well into the middle of the night and no one is available to administer that exam. They cut Dave loose and he returns to the nearly destroyed home. Well, a medical examiner ruled that Shantae's death was a homicide and that she had died from strangulation and blunt force trauma, not drowning, which law enforcement had totally expected. All right, I need you to remember, this is April of 2018. So finally, in August of 2018, police arrest Dave and they charge him with first degree murder. He is held without bond. And as investigators were gathering the evidence in the case, they discovered that Dave was leading a double life. He had a membership that he had renewed several times to a same-sex bathhouse called Club Orlando. They had witnesses that said they had seen Dave participating in sexual acts with other men at the club. Okay, now during that time, before his arrest, Dave had insisted that an intruder had killed Shantae. He believed someone had broken into the garage apartment and killed Shantae and stolen her $15,000 wedding ring. But upon his arrest, the ring was found amongst Dave's possessions. Okay, for the next year and a half, delay after delay occurs. And then something happens that baffles everyone. Dave's defense team turns over evidence to the state. They have a set of bloody sheets that they claim came from Shante's bed. So I'm asking why? Why do they have them? Why didn't the investigators gather those sheets? The defense attorneys also turn over a green cord that they say their private investigator recovered from the garage apartment. So this green cord could actually be the murder weapon used to strangle Shantae. And then Dave's lawyer, he just up and quits. And Dave has to find new counsel, which means more significant delays since the new defense team has to get up to speed on the case. Now, during this time, the green cord is tested for DNA, but no DNA is found. And it was probably all a futile exercise since a judge wouldn't admit it into evidence anyway because of a chain of custody issue. Well, the delays just continue. COVID-19 hits. Then Dave's new attorneys try to claim an insanity defense for Dave, which leads to psyche valves and actually some psychiatric facility stays. And a judge does eventually rule that Dave is competent to stand trial. And then on October 12th of this year, the trial began. Now, phone evidence was submitted that shows Shantae's phone going completely silent at around midnight on the day before her death. So that's a void of about 15 hours with no cell phone activity before Dave actually makes the 911 call. And Shantae's best friend, she was called as a witness. She testified that Shantae and Dave did have a good relationship, but at times it was rocky. And then another one of Shantae's friends, who was also a co-worker, said she didn't find out about Shantae's death until two days after her murder. She said when she visited Dave at the garage apartment that he was distraught and that he admitted he hadn't even told Shantae's family yet. 
Well, one full day of the trial was dominated by testimony from the detective who interrogated Dave. She repeatedly defended her stance that Dave's behavior was not indicative of someone who had just found their sweetheart dead in a bathtub. She testified that at one point in the eight-hour interrogation, they had left Dave alone in the room, staring at a picture of Shante. She said he never shed a tear during that time. Dave did not testify during the trial, but I do want to point something out that is shocking about Dave. His appearance is jaw-dropping. Pictures of Dave and Shante from, you know, maybe 2015 or 2016 show an attractive couple. Dave is a handsome man, but after spending five years in jail, Dave is nearly unrecognizable. He seems almost disheveled and worn out. Well, in closing arguments, the state reiterated that the house was the breaking point for the marriage. The love had been demolished out of the relationship, much like the interior of the house had been demolished. Now, the state believed that Shante had said no to the zombie house flipping show and that Dave was furious that he wasn't going to be able to get bailed out of his disastrous demolition project. And it took the jury just five hours to deliver a guilty verdict. And last week, a judge sentenced Dave to life in prison for the murder of Shantae Trones. Well, after the trial, Jackson Cooper, that's Shantae's now preteen son, told reporters that it feels good inside that Dave is finally where he should be. He said that they can now move on knowing he will be in prison for the rest of his life. He also said that the death of his mother was a hole in his heart that will never be able to be fixed. And I wish I could tell you more about Shantae. She seems so driven and intelligent. Jackson told reporters that he had the best mom for him, and I wish she could have blessed his life for more than eight years. Now, let's shift gears to Pennsylvania and a civil lawsuit against Panera Bread. 21-year-old Sarah Katz is an accomplished young adult. She was awarded a full merit scholarship to learn Mandarin at the University of Electronic Science and Technology of China. She then enrolled at the University of Pennsylvania, where she studied international relations and health and societies. While gaining her education, Sarah worked as a research assistant at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And as if that wasn't enough, she also worked with the American Heart Association, teaching CPR classes to high school students and members of underprivileged communities. But we're still not done. On campus, she was the social chair of Sigma Kappa Sorority and a member of the John Marshall Pre-Law Honor Society. Now, Sarah did have some health challenges. Her parents say she was diagnosed with long QT type 1 syndrome when she was just five years old. So this condition can cause potentially life-threatening arrhythmias. Basically, the heart's normal electrical activity can be disrupted if it's stressed or strained by something like intense exercise, or maybe artificial substances ingested into the body. So for most people, this is a manageable ailment that responds well to the medication that doctors prescribe. And Sarah, she was regularly seeing a doctor for the medical condition, and her physician had asked her to abstain from energy drinks and other highly caffeinated beverages. Well, her parents claim she would drink electrolyte beverages like Gatorade, but she would steer clear of caffeine for the most part. So why are Sarah's parents, Jill and Michael, suing Panera Bread? Well, last year, Sarah visited a Panera Bread because, according to her parents, she chose the fast food restaurant because of the healthy options that are typically not provided at other quick service food establishments. Well, on that particular day, 
She also chose the charged lemonade that is available at the self-serve fountain in some Panera locations. But herein lies the problem. The charged lemonade has the caffeine equivalent of three Red Bulls. A large charged lemonade has about 390 milligrams of caffeine. And according to her parents, after drinking the charged lemonade, Sarah died of cardiac arrest just a few hours later. Her parents claim in the wrongful death lawsuit that Panera Bread does not clearly advertise what is in the charged lemonade. And Sarah's college roommate agrees. Victoria Rose, okay, that's the roommate, she told NBC News that Sarah was very, very vigilant about what she needed to do to keep herself safe. She said that she guarantees that if Sarah had known how much caffeine was in the charged lemonade, she would have never touched the drink. The lawsuit claims that Panera Bread advertised the drink as a plant-based and as a clean beverage with as much caffeine as Panera's dark roast coffee. In fact, they're on the menu board right next to each other. Well, 10 days before her death, Sarah had signed up for the Panera Sip Club. So this is a program that encourages unlimited refills of charged lemonade beverages. And according to her roommate, Sarah had gone to a different restaurant attached to her apartment building in Philadelphia to celebrate a friend's birthday party. Okay, that celebration happened on the day she died, just after she had visited Panera. Okay, so while she's at that celebration, she collapsed on the floor. Friends thought she was having a seizure, and EMTs arrived quickly and started CPR. She was stabilized at the restaurant, but once she was transported to the hospital, she suffered another heart attack, and that heart attack was fatal. Her friend Victoria said she is 100% sure that Sarah drank charged lemonade on the day of her death. She found a half-drank cup of the liquid in their apartment. And caffeine might not have been the only ingredient that inflamed Sarah's medical ailment. The charged lemonade also contains nearly 30 teaspoons of sugar, and a guarana extract, which is also a stimulant. Now, Panera did respond to the lawsuit, saying in a statement that they are saddened to learn of the tragic passing of Sarah Katz. They said their hearts go out to her family. And then they followed that up with this. At Panera, we strongly believe in transparency around our ingredients. We will work quickly to thoroughly investigate this matter. Now, a quick search on the internet shows the vessels that the lemonade are served from at Panera. And large signage at some locations advertises the Unlimited Sip Club. In fact, it's located, that signage is usually located right above those vessels that have the lemonade in them. Well, then on smaller signs on each vessel, those signs identify the amount of calories and caffeine in the beverages. So I was really, I mean, that was easy for me to find. It was very easy for me to find on the internet. But I can't verify that this signage was posted at the Philadelphia location on the day of Sarah's death. So I'm confused about this one, and I really want to know what you think. Let me know in the comments, because it's got all the reminders of that lawsuit against McDonald's with the spilled hot coffee that polarized people's opinions about our individual responsibilities. So I'd love to know what you think. Well, that's your Thursday episode of Rise and Crime. Let me know what you think about these cases and give me a follow on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Join me again on Monday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there.